Hello and welcome to Composer Chat, a podcast where we talk a little about music, a little about life, and a whole lot about whatever nonsense happens to come up otherwise. I'm your host, Jason Nitch, and each week I am joined by one of my favorite composers out there in the world. It's my show, so that's why it's my favorite composers who get the invites, and you're just going to have to live with that. Stick around, we're going to do a deep dive with some of the most creative people in the world. You're listening to Composer Chat. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to another edition of Composer Chat. I'm your host, Jason Nitch. Yes, I'm a composer and yes, I'm here every week, but each week I'm joined by a guest composer of my own selection and we'll spend the next hour talking with them with really frequent interruption by me. So uh, really thrilled this week to be joined by my special guest. Welcome to the show, Adam Gorb. Hello. Welcome. And we were just talking about um, it's like nine in the morning for me and it's the middle of the afternoon for you. So we're different parts of our day which is which is always fun um tell me something um we were talking to about how as a as a band person that um some of the some of the music that i got to play as a as a performer and then some of the stuff that i got to do as a as a as a teacher for um for people that may not be as familiar with your music uh can you give us like the the 60 second blurb about kind of what's the normal stuff that you are kind of like to write what are you known for well, what I'm probably known for is um, the, the music I've written for Wind Ensemble, for band, which is, has got around the world many times and for quite a, quite a while now. I like to think that I don't want to pigeonhole myself, though, um, that um, I love writing all sorts of instrumental and vocal music. Um, I like to write very serious stuff and somewhat lighter stuff. Um, so I, it's it, in the sort of eclectic postmodern world we live in these days, I wouldn't want to sort of think, well, that's the kind of music he's going to be writing. I can recognize that. Although I would love to hear, I would love to think that people hear something personal in what I do, regardless of the, um, you know, the instruments or voices written for and the, and, and, and the forms employed. Yeah, no, absolutely. For sure. Well, can you talk a little bit about my my first question is almost always, you know, like, how did you get into music to start with? Like when you were growing up, what was kind of your entry point to just getting involved with music at all? There was a piano in the house and um, I just I was mucking around on it from a very, very early age and possibly, I guess, more than other people normally would. And it was a piano teacher that I had who introduced me to the Bartok children's pieces, as opposed to some of the sort of rather awful educational music that is still around now and this was around then and it's been <laughs> forever. She actually said, well, look, this is actually a great composer who wrote music for children as well. And um, and his, his piano book, Microcosmos, I particularly remember Melody in the Mist in volume four, where, where, you, where it's quite an easy piece where the pianist plays very simple clusters. And that made a big impression on me, a sort of sense of a composer being really liberated to find new sounds on the piano. So that was when I was very, very young. And um, after that, I got into the school orchestra as a clarinetist. And the clarinet was um, a useful sort of way of um, developing uh, as as as, um, as a musician in that I would play with other people and you learn not to be too sort of selfish as a performer. You learn, you learn to listen more, you learn to uh, be part of a, of a much bigger organisation. And when I was about 16, I got into a group uh, in the London School Symphony Orchestra, which is one of the best symphony, um, schools orchestras in the country, or what it was. And I did that for a couple of years and we played some of the great 
works. I mean, and we came for my first time in the USA in the bicentennial year in 1976. Mm. So we playing British music, Vaughan Williams, but um, Charles Ives from the USA. We are playing Stravinsky, Mahler, Elgar, Sibelius. We played some wonderful things, and I just got, I was so excited sitting amongst the orchestra, um, being part of it. I wasn't the greatest clarinetist, and as soon as I got to university, I gave up, but it was a great way in at the time. <laughs> wow. So clarinet player. That's cool. I have a, I have a daughter that's a clarinet player, and uh, I get to hear a lot of a lot of great music around the house. It's interesting. <laughs> did you um, did you find that you know? Did you find that a lot of American band music makes its way over to or at, during that time when you were when you were younger? Did a, did a lot of American concert band music make its way over to to your part of the world at all? Well, I'll be honest. And I said I didn't really know much about the concert band until quite a bit later on. I mean, I was very briefly in a concert band when I was a teenager, but we really just played um, uh, show tune arrangements and, um, and and TV themes and maybe the odd bit of Holst or Vaughan Williams or Percy Granger. So the whole band literature is something that came to me later. And I, and I can tell you now how I got into it in that um, much, much later on, I was in my early 30s and I was... Um, I came back to study again. I'd been out working in the world and I was at the Royal Academy of Music and my wise composition teacher suggested that for a big festival, not to write an orchestral piece, but to write a wind band piece. And um, I wrote my first, and from then I started looking at band literature, American, uh, other other countries as well. And I wrote my first piece, Metropolis, which um, was 1992. And so, you know, it was that sense that you could write something that was, you know, still doing what you wanted to do, but was much more likely to get a second performance or a third, fourth and fifth performance. So that was important for me. That's great. So you were you were writing before, but that was your first band piece? Yeah, I was writing before. I mean, I wrote a lot as a teenager. Um, it was, you know, while, while other boys kind of went out and played football and chatted up girls, I stayed in and wrote music. <laughs> I, was, I was a sad little person, really. Um, <laughs> so um, I, 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 I wrote... A couple of impossible orchestral pieces at the ages of 15 and 16 that will never see the light of day. I wrote 26 piano pieces, one for each letter of the alphabet. Um, I, I was I was writing a lot. I had a very enthusiastic composition teacher at, at that point. Then it all dried up a bit when I did my first degree in that I started getting very self-conscious about what I was writing. And, um, and um, it, it was a while. I mean, it's, so I started becoming more fluent again in my later 20s. So I, I'm not really in any way any kind of prodigy. It, 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 it wasn't all flowing. I mean, I was writing a lot for a certain period in my teens, but then I did stop, almost stop, apart from the odd very small thing occasionally for many years before I got back into it. Wow. So who, who was that first composition teacher that you mentioned? Well, I mean, as a, the, the, the first composition teacher when I was a teenager was a, was a, a, a gentleman called Alfred Nyman who was, was, was long departed. I mean, he was he was a professor at the Guildhall School of Music and I went to see him privately. And um, he was very encouraging, but he was sort of very over the top. I mean, I'd see him every week and, um, and, and, and he would either say my piece was wonderful or terrible. I remember one time when I was playing him something <laughs> on the piano and while I was playing it, he actually took the music away from me and started tearing the pages up. <laughs> and he would never bring anything like this to me again. And um, I was... I'd, maybe I developed a certain amount of resilience with his um, brutal approach, but he was very, very encouraging when he um, when he wanted to be. Wow. I then had a very 
I don't know, I've had a very dry academic person called Anthony Milner a bit later in my teens who made me do counterpoint and stuff like that. Um, and he said, I, he said he wouldn't look at anything of mine until I'd done a whole book of five-part species counterpoint and knew everything about Bach chorales. He had a totally different approach. And um, you know, I, whether that did be any good, I mean, maybe it did. So no, then much later on, um, because I'd sort of had a, a period away from the whole composing thing, what from first degree and then for several years afterwards. But I thought I'd, I'd give it, I'd give composing a go again when I was about 27, 28. And I, I contacted the composer, Paul Patterson, who was living in St. Part of London I was at that time. And I started seeing him privately and he was very encouraging. And he eventually suggested after a few years that I come back and do a master's degree at, um, at the Royal Academy of Music. That's that's really wonderful. Well, you mentioned before. Um, you mentioned before one of those early pieces. Can you remember, like, maybe what your first thing was that you that you wrote? Oh well, I mean, it was. You mean when I was a kid? Um, oh, it was probably some piano pieces. I don't remember what they were called now. Um, and uh, I wrote a duet for two clarinets, a suite for two clarinets, which I played with my clarinet teacher. Um, I wrote a. I think I wrote a wind quintet when I was terribly young that the school orchestra, the school ensemble played. And then a couple of these large impractical orchestral works that will never did and will never see the light of day. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what they are somewhere in, probably in this room, actually, if I, if I look for them. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was, um, I, I did write, I, of the of the 26 piano pieces, there were the alphabet ones, uh, five of them did get played on BBC Radio. I, I put them forward. And so five of them, that was, oh. it was a sort of moment of fame when I was um, seven, about 17 years old. <laughs> and um, so five of them were played on radio, BBC Radio 3 at the time. And that, that was quite a quite, quite a boost. But then I, I what probably went a bit wrong was um, when I went to do my first degree at Cambridge University, where the atmosphere, the environment in those days was very sort of, post Schoenberg and um, Stockhausen and Boulez. And um, the it, it, it was it, it seemed to me to be a sort of overtly intellectual and um, dry and um, and um, joyless approach to composition, which um, didn't really chime in well with me. So at the university, I spent more time just writing music for theatrical, theatrical productions and reviews, doing quite light stuff. And so I was rather put off the whole ethos of composing, thinking it was something that um, was a deeply unenjoyable experience and only to be sort of performed to fellow sufferers. <laughs> so it was really Paul Patterson, many, many years later, he said, no, no, you must write stuff how you what, what you will really want to write. And if you want, you know, you want to communicate and if you want to write something in any sort of way, if it's well written, that's the important thing. Don't worry about which so many people were just obsessed with all those years ago about being more modern than the last person. And it didn't oh, go yeah. anywhere. Yeah, that's really good advice. I I felt the same way for a lot of years where I was just emulating people that I really liked and I was not really doing a lot of things that I personally yeah. liked myself. So that's really that's really good advice. Um hopefully hopefully young composers these days are are getting to that faster than I did. Um well, I mean, just to say, I mean, I think things have almost gone totally the other direction now with music. I think there's a lot of stuff that I'm concerned about that it's too easy and too mm. bland and too mm. much it, it's not searching anything and it doesn't sound personal it's, it's sort of computerized there, there, there's a real issue there as well but maybe that's for another conversation <laughs> <laughs> well 
Well, you know, I've, I've talked to several other guests about this a little bit uh, about how um, it, I, I have made the comment many times where I feel like a lot of young composers have, have good ideas, but they're missing, they're missing either orchestrational knowledge about how to make real performers sound a certain way. The computer sounds a certain way and everything sounds amazing, but translating that to real performers I feel like is a little bit of a barrier um, for a lot of younger composers who have kind of grown up writing on computer. I kind of split the difference. Um, so, but I was very lucky early on. I had access to a lot of, of performers that were willing to play things. So I got to hear them. Yeah. You know, really quickly after I was writing them. So I got to hear it and, and, and kind of learn how to, how to orchestrate that way. Um, but I think too, a lot of uh, young composers now are self-publishing music, and I think that that is a good bad thing because I I know that I really when I work with a really good editor, um, which is not to say that publishers don't have their own agendas, but when I work with a really good editor at a publishing company, I get a lot of really good feedback typically from them about certain things, and I feel like a lot of them don't get that the way that kind of the market is is moving to kind of that model, which I, you know, I don't know if you have an opinion about any of that, but. Well, I mean, I, I think it, it's, it's very, very hard for a composer young. I mean, I've been, I've had the job in, I went from, from two year 2000 to 2023 this year, I was head of composition at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester. And just to say that my big sort of um, priority was to get performances of works. And so everything that the students wrote was was performed and recorded. I think that's an incredibly important learning um, tool. And, you know, you, you haven't really learned everything until you've heard your pieces properly. You write stuff because you want to hear it, not, not because for any other reason, really. And... As far as the publishing is concerned, and then you know, I, I think that, well, there are so many composers now. There's just too many, and um, and and it's a very sort of attractive way of thinking. I want to write music for a living, but most people who write music don't do it for a living. They do it because, amongst everything else, I mean, I, I had a full time administrative job and wrote music in the holidays and on the odd morning when I wasn't in, in work. So, yeah, but I mean, um. <laughs> But I mean, there won't be enough publishers or even editors to um, to accommodate every composer. So they they have to support each other. And so I, I'd encourage students to work with each other and maybe publish each other's stuff and look at each other's music. I think that's the way. That's a way forward. But I mean, I think gone when it's when a composer can sort of find a big publisher that can kind of sort them out. There are a few still like that that have their publishers representing everything, but most of them are not like that. I mean, I was never like that. Yeah, no, mm -mm, no, for sure. That's, that's really tough to do. Do you find, um, do you find that, you know, over where you are, that there's kind of this, there's been sort of this rise of the young, like celebrity composer, the, the Instagram composer that's yep. got a lot of stuff out and they're, they're really active in, in, you know, all the socials and things and the music is okay, but it's just, you know, it's not, I don't know. I don't know the best way to describe it. Yeah. Like I'm starting to see that over here a lot, a lot of really well-known names that are known for a lot of things, not their music in particular, <laughs> but, but they're oh, getting well, a lot I mean, of play. 
we, we could we could get into sort of quite um, interesting and possibly dangerous sort of political conversation here, I think, in that, yes, absolutely, that's happening in, in the UK and no doubt in other European countries as well, that um, the music isn't really the most important thing. I mean, there's other stuff that can be marketed, whether it's, you know, what you believe in, what sort of, um, what kind of minority you might be in, what you look like. Um, and the music is perhaps, yeah, not not as, um, you know, the, 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 it's not the most important thing. I mean, I think the best when I've been on panels, the best judging I've done has been when it's totally blind and I haven't known the composer who's been who's entered in for um, that particular opportunity. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's um, it's a real issue. And, and I feel sorry for some of my students who perhaps don't tick some of those boxes who are going to have a, who are going to have a tough time. Yeah, I'm I'm really terrible at social media, so I that's <laughs> that's my. Well, I just area. don't do it at all. I mean, you know, I've got I've I've got some publishers, and I, and I actually put a lot of my pieces and a lot of other composers do with this organization called Composers Edition, where you know they they it's it's you know they 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 they, they, they don't actually publish, but they send out PDFs and they and they and they try and promote and they and and they and they they, they tell you about opportunities. So I, I'm not really particularly interested in sort of representing myself as a composer i mean i it's i'd probably get some more performances but um i'd rather somebody else did that and i'd rather be if i got some time just getting on with writing i love that let me let me ask do you have a big like uh rejection story some piece you wanted to write some commission you wanted to get that didn't work out something that you uh that you look back on and Oh, every, every every day, probably, I should think. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. I mean, um, I, there's nothing that I, I, nothing springs to mind quite now, but I know I've tried for things and I haven't got them. I did once get a commission out of failing to win a competition. It's not, be, it's not because I failed to win that I got the commission, but I think they had a couple more commissions to hand out. It wasn't just the the, the, the competition winner. So, oh, it, you know, so, so I say to people, you know, please enter everything, get your name out there. You've got to do that. I mean, stay interested in the world of, of, of music out there. But, um, oh, sure. I mean, there's, um, it, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to say any any particular thing, but um, it's a tough world out there. and um, and, and there's no kind of, trajectory of a composer's career i mean I, and i've seen it in the next generation the generation after composers they can hit the heights when they're 30 when they're 35 nobody nobody, nobody knows about them anymore it's and, and um I, you know i i've had some very very busy years and then i've had some very very quiet years it's like waiting for one bus nothing and then you know you wait for half an hour then five of them come along at the same time um so yeah you, you've got to sort of allow yourself a certain insensitivity and, and and a philosophical attitude that it's not all going to work out and when people think you're going to get something or you think you're going to get something then the carpet is pulled away from your feet so yeah i mean you've got to learn to be disappointed now my dogs are barking um because they're strangers in the backyard um let me let me ask um so you you brought up you brought up kind of the ebb and flow of writing. I, I find that I tend to write in, um, you know, I'll write a lot for maybe like six months and then I won't write a lot for six months. Do you, have you found that to be kind of the case? And do you find that to be necessary? Do you find it to be refreshing? Do you find, you know, if you've had long stretches where you're really busy, do you find that it's really difficult? 
I think that's fine. I, I think I don't think a composer should be writing all the time. Um, I, I they, we don't that music. The world doesn't need sort of one piece and then didn't write anything for nine months. I mean, if there isn't any need for that piece, I've, I've not written very much recently. I've written some basically this year has been, I think, three, three quite small pieces, and that's it really. And there was my latest band piece I wrote last year. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, while I was full, I just I just retired from the job uh, I've been doing in Manchester just a few months ago. But while I was doing that job, I'd write a lot in the summer at Christmas, and I wouldn't really write much in term times. There, there was there was too much going on. And when you've been when you're teaching and you're giving out so much, you've got nothing left for yourself after that. And so, uh, so yeah, months might go by without me writing anything at all. And then, uh, but you know, but I, I'm very good with deadlines. That's what gets me going. Whether I set my own deadline or a commission sets a deadline, if somebody says do it by then, do it by then, I, I, I'm, I'm good at that. I need that. Um, so, so, so um, I mean, like my two operas that I wrote, I mean, I didn't have enough time, but I just worked furiously while I was doing them. And, um, and yeah, they got done. I'm kind of the same way. I, I write well under duress. A lot of times I tend to think when I've got a deadline and yeah. it kind of goes back to the old thing where I, I never really finished anything. I just run out of time to work on it. So it, it gets out in the world and then it's, then it's there and yeah. <laughs> you don't get a lot of opportunity to revisit things later on, which I think probably is good, you know, also too. Well, um, although, I mean, I, I, I welcome, and this is the great thing about writing wind ensemble music, that you get a chance, quite often you get a chance for a second or a third performance. And what I'll tend to do after the first performance is have a recording, obviously, maybe leave it aside for a while, then come back to it and think, well, I'm listening to this piece as a listener. I'm not too close to it now. I'm not seeing all the cracks and the scenes. So then I'll I'll feel, well, do I need to do a bit of brain surgery on this piece? And then I will probably revise before a second performance if it's still not right after that that's my fault and the piece deserves either never to be played again or to be played as not a great piece and um so but i i like to sort of you know that, that's it's the way i work i mean some people spend half their lives just revising one or two pieces others just churn them out and forget about them yeah i i think i need a lot more time than that i there's a piece I wrote about 10 years ago that I'm thinking about doing some revisions on. And I think for me, that's about enough time. Once I, once I get it out in the world, I'm kind of like, I don't even know if I want to hear you. I've, I've spent so much time with you and you've made me so angry. <laughs> oh yeah. You get obsessed. I know. And, and it's, it can be very frustrating, but um, you, you know, and, and, and um, but sometimes it's good to leave it for a while and, and, and think, well, God, you know, God, I was so terrible then. And then you look back, then you then maybe five years later, you think, well, maybe I wasn't as bad as all that. You know, or that particular piece. I mean, yeah. I know some particular lecturer came and spoke to us and said, you're as good as your last piece. I would actually say you're as bad as your last piece. You know, and, you know, but then give it some time and then it might not be so bad after all. I mean, I, th I think that most compositions are failures. And I mean, that's why we keep writing, because you want to try and not write failures, but it's that striving, looking for something that really makes you... It probably makes your music more interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think I tend to look more favorably back on older things now than I used to. Than I used yeah. to think at the time. So I think you're probably right. I think time is is probably probably pretty good. But I think also it's, it, over the course of several decades, then you see you see growth. You see your own growth and 
yeah, you see how you get better at things. You see how your ideas get a little bit better, but you're probably right. If we felt like we, well, I've written the best piece I'm ever going to write. You probably stop. Right. Well, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, uh, I, and, and that may be the case anyway. Maybe I wrote a couple of pieces 20 years ago that I'm never going to improve on. Maybe that's going to be the case, but um, I'm st- I still think I've got something to say. I still think I'd quite like to try and, and, and do something. I, I, I'm, I'm not over the hill yet. I don't think. Well, do you have any big, uh, big bucket list projects, things that you that you'd like to do something, something on the horizon that you're excited about? Um, I don't tend to think in that way. I, do, I don't. I mean, of course, I'd like I'd like to write more chamber music. Um, I, for example, I wrote something I'd not done before. I wrote a song cycle that was done in the Wigmore Hall in London this year, which was I wrote it a few years ago. But COVID stopped sort of any possibility of performance for a couple sure. of years. And so that was a great thing to do. Um yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, I don't tend to sort of think, well, I've got this big thing. I mean, I have had some projects in the past, like quite recently, it's another number of piano pieces, um, 24 piano pieces. So I wanted to sort of 24 preludes for a wonderful pianist, Claire Hammond. The CD came out last year. So that actually kept me going quite nicely through parts of the lockdown. So that was um, that was a big project. And the two operas I've written were big projects. But most of the rest of the time... Um, I've just got two quite small things coming up and that's it. So, I mean, maybe something else will come up, but I mean, um, it, it's, um, I'm, I'm in conversation with a couple of people and I, in, a, in a sense, I'll just do as I'm asked. If somebody says, right, we want this, it's going to last that long. Just do it. That, that's what I like. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. Well, um, let's shift gears a little bit. This is a question I, I ask all of my guests and I always find it fascinating how they answer is, is there something that you have, purchased or required for your writing space that once you got it and you kind of started using it or, or what have you that kind of completely changed, I, I don't know, your workflow, your productivity or anything like that. Do you experience anything like that? Well, in a word, no, <laughs> um, in that I've probably always, I mean, if you, you can probably see it just behind me, I've got, there's an upright piano there. I've worked on that piano ever since I was about 18 years old. It's, I mean, I've got, we have another piano in the house, which is a grand piano, but I, I don't compose on that. And so I will, t- I will, if I'm composing, I will turn around and walk three paces to the other end of the room, sit down, and um, there's a sort of piece of hardboard on the piano and put the manuscript paper on the hardboard. And I'll just do that. And um, so, and with pencil and paper, it's something I've always done. And then I use Sibelius software, I have done since the mid 90s. And um, so I'll, I'll then put stuff on Sibelius after that. If that's what your question's about, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, everybody answers that question kind of kind of differently. And so I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, always kind yeah. of fascinated by what yeah, people I, talk about. I'll tell you what, one thing that I'd like to do more, and I've done it a few times, is I've, I've, been, I've, I've occasionally just gone away by myself. I've gone on like a retreat. And um, I, not for that long. I went for two weeks in one place and 10 days in another place. And I was literally by myself for all that time. And, you know, take the phone off, don't put the computer on, turn the phone off, and then just just focus in on what you're doing. And I've never known the time go by so fast. And when I'm writing, you know, I take my watch off and yeah. just focus and then i think oh my goodness i must have done a couple of hours and you find out you've done five hours it's it's a very extraordinary experience getting in the zone to that extent so sometimes maybe going somewhere to write and being just there with the music and nothing else i mean that hasn't happened recently but i hope it will happen again where i can actually make the effort to go somewhere has to be a piano there because i write at the piano but that pencil and paper that's all i need 
at the Southeast. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I I moved this summer. I found my original Sibelius uh, CD. You oh, know, yeah. Sibelius, no numbers. <laughs> oh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the first, first version, you know, whatever it was. I've, I've used Sibelius for a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. It had it had to be, um, and I I chuckled a little bit when I saw it. I went, God, this has been a, this has been a bit. Um, yeah, but I mean, really I, 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 I was one of the first users of Sibelius in in the in the nineties, and I mean, I really I'd never had a computer before at that stage. I mean, I really wasn't in, into computers. I'm not really into it now, but I mean, it was so easy and so um practical and and um, intuitive i mean i'd looked at other programs and i thought no you need to be a computer nerd to learn finale or whatever and yeah. so so yes I, i've always used surveillance i don't have the latest version but you know i just i i have what i've got but i will always do everything in, in pencil and paper first yeah i i had finale and i i could use it but i thought it was at the time i thought it was really cumbersome and then somebody Somebody had Sibelius that I knew and I tried it out and I went, oh, this works much more intuitively the way my brain kind of wants it to. Exactly. And um, and yeah, and I've I've never looked back. There was a period where out of out of protest, I did not upgrade for a series of years, but but then um but then I, I finally gave in a couple of years ago and I did the I did the upgrade and now I have the latest version. Even though yeah, Abbott, if you're listening, yeah. the licensing thing is is rubbish. It doesn't work very well at all. And they <laughs> They talk about it on the on the the Facebook group about how the oh did they yeah, yeah. <laughs> Avid licensing is is junk oh is that yes, a whole yeah. software thing but every yeah. every two weeks I have to I have to reactivate my license because it's so terrible so Avid if you're listening do better would you please <laughs> well um, I still I, st- I still have it organized at my workplace even though I'm not working full time there I mean they yeah. do all of that for me so um every six months I have to sort of have another six months to, to have it you know but that's that's fine yeah lucky well um let me ask you this do you ever when you're working on something do you ever experience writer's block i think i experience writer's block when i'm not working on something if you see what i mean oh, um, yeah because I, I sort of think well if there isn't any really real reason to start something i'll find any excuse not to think about it um i, I haven't had writers but once i start start a piece um i if if I have writer's block, it'll just be for a very short time. Um, funnily enough, a piece you mentioned me in one of my most performed pieces, Yiddish dances. I had a writer's block halfway through that. I, I can, it seemed as if it was going to be easy. The first two and a half movements just flowed by, did them very quickly. Then I kind of reached a halt, and I thought, I do not know what to do next. And um, so, but my, my my my, but then another thing, my first string quartet. Which and I was always a bit scared about writing a string quartet with the legacy. Um, it, it was sort of opposite to a writer's block in that I was just furiously writing stuff all summer that I knew wasn't very good, but I felt I just had to do it, keep going. <laughs> yeah. and, and then just at the end of the summer before term started, I plucked up courage and tore most of the piece up. I'd written about 12, 13 minutes of music and, and it was all wrong. And then just before term started, I wrote something a bit better and then that got me going so in a way that's 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 a sort of writer's deluge rather than a writer's block so sure. i don't i don't really get writer's block no that much no wow well yeah you're very lucky <laughs> well I, i'll probably be i'll probably be satisfied with music isn't as good you know 
Sometimes people say that. I mean, a composer I know gets a lot of writer's block and people say to him, look, just write stuff that isn't that good. I mean, it's like Shostakovich, who I don't think ever got writer's block. If he wasn't composing, he'd be orchestrating something. And if he wasn't orchestrating something, he'd just be copying out somebody's music, then throwing it away. Just being amongst music like that all the time. Yeah, I've gotten that advice before, just to write, even if it isn't any good. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's it's um, it's probably it's probably better than you think it is, but um, I think it's 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 like um, you know, keeping anything well oiled, you know, or it'll start going rusty if you don't use it. Oh, I've lost I've lost the oh, sound. There we go. So I lost the sound there. Sorry. Am I back? Yeah. There we go. Yeah, I was gonna say I've I've also gotten in the habit of I I try if I can when I'm working on something if I'm stopping for the day or if I'm at the end of a kind of a session I try not to stop at a bar line so that I don't have to figure out like where my where my head was what I thought was coming next I always try to sketch a little into the next the next bit so I leave myself a clue. Oh well, that's a very that's very nice advice actually. And that I know we had somebody come into manager and say what you need to do when you're writing from day to day you you do the cat sat on the but you don't do Matt. So you write Matt beginning of the next morning and that gets you going again. Don't sort of complete, don't complete a section too much. Be very obviously unfinished. So I think, I think that's, that that's, that's a good way of thinking. Yeah. I came to that advice too late in my career, but I, uh, I've, I found it to be real useful. So yeah, um, yeah, that's good. Well, um, do you have any, uh, do you have any non-music hobbies, things that you're interested in, things that you do in your spare time, whatever that looks like? Well, I like to read. I like to go walking. I like to travel. Um, uh, I like to go to the theater. Um, I like to play chess. Um, um, I'm pathetically trying to learn French, although my wife and daughter are far better than me, but to keep up, well, not to keep up with them, to get give myself a chance when we're, if we're in France. Sure. Uh, I like to watch cricket. Um, yeah, it's just sort of, I, I mean, now, now I've sort of not, got my nose to the grindstone in 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 in, in, in sort of full-time employment now i want to perhaps develop other hobbies as well and just see people i've you know so often that the year goes by and you haven't seen them because you know there's only the odd day or so that um you know you can do things but um yeah i i think it's important i mean you know to to actually get away from music by the time it gets to the end of the academic year in june or july i just don't want to hear music you know i'd, I'd rather um all right sorry you know, I'd, I'd I'd rather spend some time inside an art gallery or um, or seeing a movie, and um, I, I think you know it's um, there's so much music that it's so there's too much music around. It's it's, it's too accessible. It's too easily accessible. You you can just do anything on the computer now. You got all the music you ever want. I I like the idea that you have to struggle a bit. You have to go somewhere. I think it was you know that we we need to still work hard on getting people back to going to concerts after well you know, on and off two years where people just couldn't go to concerts at all. And I think that's important, the sort of getting out and doing things. It's because that's how it was originally intended. Yeah, for sure. Have So have you found it's the same over there that kind of um, people are still kind of getting back in the habit of going to live performances and live venues? Because I, I know that that over here in the States, that's there's certainly a, a lag it has not returned yeah. to to pre-pandemic levels. 
Yeah, it, 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 I think it's okay in the UK now, and but I, I, it's it's but it, it took it took quite a while. And I mean, I'm I'm really not I'm not a fan of live streaming. I mean, I, I hardly I didn't watch a single live stream during lockdowns. So I thought it, it's not the point. I'd rather just play a CD that I've got already. I, I I think the idea of making things too accessible is 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 not a good thing in the end. I think you, you it, there's you know I think Benjamin Britten said that there's got to be an element of pilgrimage going to the concerts. The whole sort of rigmarole of leaving the house. It might be raining, crossing the road, where you're going to park the car, whatever, getting the ticket. Uh, <laughs> are you are you going to miss? You know, are you going to be able to eat anything? Just these. I think it's I think it's good that these thoughts go through your head to actually, uh, you know, and then, then you then you're sitting there. With you know, all you can do is sit and listen to the music. I mean, I think a certain amount of effort has to be made. Always thinking about when Bach, when he was a very young man, walked for about three weeks just to hear an just to hear an organ recital by Buxtehude on the other side of Germany. You know, the, the, that must have been so inspiring. It can't have done him any harm as a composer. Yeah, I wonder about things like that. Even like how we acquire music. You know, like we just get on our phone and we we download it you know now as opposed to we used to really have to you know get in the car and go drive to the record store and yeah. leave through the things and they had to have the right one and you know it was, it was that sort of thing it was more of a uh, it was more of a quest and um yeah. you know you got together and people be like oh have you heard this new album let me play this for you or this new recording of this let me let me let me put it on real quick you know and you don't I don't experience that as much anymore. I, you know, people send you a YouTube link like, Oh, Hey, check this out, you know, but yeah. it's not, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. And I, I still like buying CDs and, uh, and, and I've got loads of CDs and, and vinyl records. And, um, and, and yeah, one thing I actually did in the pandemic was actually listen to a lot of my vinyl records because it was, we were stuck at home day after day. And I thought, let's do that. But no, I, I think that it, because music is too much of it's easy for it just to become a commodity that we take advantage of, that they take for granted, and it's just there, and um, you can just put anything on. And, and it, it's no, it's it's something that needs preparation and uh, concentration and focus. So, so um, it's um, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I mean, it's it's um, and, and again, I'm, I'm so useless at the technology. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd be able to download a piece of music anyway. <laughs> I will say it is uh, uh, part of it is is convenient because I you know I know like people will buy things from from my website and they just you know it automatically sends them the copy of their music and I don't have to touch it at all and yeah. I just get a little email you know hey so and so bought your you know trumpet trumpet piece I'm like oh cool I mean I'll send them a little note and whatnot but I. I like that part. I can I re remember printing things out and, you know, putting yeah. them all in, um, stuffing them in envelopes and taking it off to the post office and whatnot. And that's, I don't miss that. No, no that's fair enough. I mean, yes, I, of course, if, if ensembles want the music, if I'm sending it myself, you just it's PDF and it's just that, that's easy. And yes, but I certainly do remember, like my the first time when Metropolis got played in the USA in 1994, I remember sort of, Oh, enormous great envelopes with a score and parts, and thinking was it going to actually fall out of the sky on the way to the, you know, the in the Atlantic? You know, so yeah, so yeah that, 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 that is that, that is better, and, and, you know. So, so sure, that's the one. That's the one benefit that will that will give technology. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, definitely, absolutely, definitely, really, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, I always end these. Um, I always end these chats with this with a 
10 frivolous questions okay that are that are non-consequential at all and um and if people have listened to multiple episodes of the show they've shifted over time because some of the questions were not very good and also i'm not sure there's 10 anymore but that's what it that's what it says on my lineup is 10 questions at the end so don't write to me saying like there were nine questions i know oh, no, that's all right i'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna delete I'm going to delete that. Yeah. <laughs> if I get hate mail about there not being 10 questions in my 10 question segment, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to add yeah. things <laughs> anyway. Um, so anyway, 10 yeah. frivolous questions. We will, we'll, we'll hop through them um, and just answer however you feel like, um, or, or you can take a pass if anything is, <laughs> if anything is too much. Um, do you have, um, do you have a favorite food that you like to eat? Um, I absolutely love Dover sole. Mm. Yeah, yeah. obviously on the bone. So you got, you, yes, I like food that's sort of um it's isn't this is like the whole thing of going out to concerts again. You know, it's it's, it's I like food that's a bit hard to eat, where you've got to actually carefully sort of take it apart. I mean, and um and 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 really sort of savor the whole presentation of it. I mean, I remember going into a when I when I was in Japan and um they showed me the, the waiter they come and bring the food they show it to you and then they just mix it up all together into some sort of beige mush I thought, don't do that <laughs> you know have the meat have the rice there have the vegetables there but they, they kind of mix it all together I, 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 that's so disappointing <laughs> so yeah i i, I say yeah, dover sole and uh yeah is that the main course do you don't want a whole meal do you <laughs> uh, no i mean you know whatever you're like i really love carrots you know it's it's fine yeah. you know it's it's uh I'm not going to write about it, you know, so uh, that's interesting, okay. though. That's always, uh, do you have a favorite place you like to vacation or someplace you like to travel to? I'm not sure what a favorite place. I mean, I, I love going to Paris. Um, I love going to the Lake District. Um, I, I, Well, I mean, I'm just curious about anywhere, really. I mean, it's, uh, just recently, I was fortunate to have a, a residency in Australia, and I'd never been there before. So I spent two weeks in Adelaide, and then went to Melbourne and Sydney. And and I just I just loved Australia. I mean, I went, probably went at a good time of the year when it wasn't too hot, but there seems to be so much more space there. Um, it's, um, I don't know, it, it, it's, it, it, it was really great. And... Um, yeah, no. You usually, I mean, it's it, it's not the often it's not the place, it's the people in the place. I mean, so if I'm meeting, if I'm staying with somebody really wonderful, they can make the place good, or I can stay with, or I can sort of be an awkward company in a beautiful city, and that wouldn't be so good. But there's so many places in Italy, Spain as well. I mean, there's a lot of great places to go in the world. Did you see any of those giant spiders while you were in Australia? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, Sydney. It's not the giant ones. It's it's the um, funnel web, small ones. They 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 only they only live in Sydney, and they're oh. quite they're quite dangerous. But I, I didn't see any. The giant ones are actually very friendly, and uh, but they just look horrible. I did not see them though, and I wasn't looking. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's that's why I haven't been to Australia. The giant spiders. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I'd hate it. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen too many science fiction movies to. to... Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I could never understand a a, a friendly spider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the tarantulas. You know, they're they're, they're the big ones. They 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 they're, they're quite harmless. They just look hideous. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you have um, Do you have a favorite color? Mm, tough questions. These are tough. Uh, 
green or black. I don't know. I'm not sure. I like red though as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what? That's a really. I see. In a way, it's a very good question because I, I I do respond to color. I do respond to them. I wear a lot of green shirts. Um, well, and, and with black trousers. So yeah, go for that. There you go. We're getting. Into, yeah. Uh, if if you can tell us, what's the last thing you googled? What's the last? Yeah, uh, no, I, I'm not even going to pronounce this right. It's a Polish composer. Um, I want, I, 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 what is, I, I, uh, I think she's called Graznia Basevich, and um, I've heard something on the radio just a few days ago. And I thought, and what I love to do on the radio is um, just listen without knowing what the music is. Although very annoyingly on my car radio, it comes up with the name as you're listening. But um, and I thought this is great. So I just about an hour and a half ago. I Googled her, and uh, maybe after this session, I might have a listen to something. There we go. But Every, everyone should. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, let's see. I normally ask this question about uh, a couple of American band composers, but we will shift it for, for you. So I will ask, let's see, what would be really good? Oh, okay. Let's see. I, this pure uh, projection and, um, and uh, fanciful uh, question. If there was a, uh, like, say there was a boxing match between, you know what, we'll pick two, two British composers. How about, how about William Walton and Benjamin Britten in a boxing match? Who, <laughs> who, who do you think would win? Uh, as, as far as their greatness and cultural significance is concerned, I think Benjamin Britten would win, but um, William mm. Walton certain things that are just unique like the first movement of his first symphony yeah uh britain i think was more consistently a great and more influential composer and a more original composer and i think he's he's it didn't seem at the time but i think he's now got an enormous influence over so many young composers uh walton doesn't really have that uh but i think he was a terrific composer at some of the best film music as well and, oh yeah so sure. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I love both of them, and um, but I think Britain was is probably been more important for me. And and, and if you know, if you wanted to write theatre music, opera, he is the go-to person to see how how to get it right and how to get it really fantastic. That makes sense. Um, another frivolous question: when uh, when you sleep at night, do you sleep with your socks on or socks off? Oh, I, I sleep with with them off because I, I it's just a question of getting up in the morning, having to bend over and take them off and have a shower you know i couldn't be bothered to do that <laughs> i get the most fascinating question or answers to that question which is why i keep yeah. asking it <laughs> well, it's, well if it's really cold i suppose yeah but you, i mean in texas it's probably never very cold is it uh no it's off it socks off you for sure i don't know why i i it's gonna sound stupid but i feel like when i sleep with my socks on that the little hairs on my feet get tangled and then oh. and then it's uncomfortable and yeah. I, I don't know. That may not be a real thing, but that's that's what I've decided to tell myself why it socks off. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It is awfully warm. Uh, also. Um, okay. If you were, if you could do anything, any other job, non-musical job, other than what you what you spent your life doing, what do you what do you think you might have done? Um, I think I'd like to be a food critic. Ooh. I think yeah. I'd like to be able to go to wonderful restaurants and uh, be given fabulous meals and stay in wonderful hotels 
and um, and have to sort of write articles about the food for color supplement magazines. That sounds like a pretty good job. Yeah, maybe maybe it's not too late. It's not too late. You just you just call yourself an influencer. An influencer. That's right. You, yes. Yeah, yeah. You go. You go in. You say, "Hey, I'm 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 Adam. I'm a I'm a food influencer, and I'm here to I'm here to um, either say nice things or bad things about your your restaurant." And then you go in and um, and then you post about it on the socials, and and no one cares. Yes. Well, I think I do better at that because, I mean, I love drinking wine, but um, I feel that I'm not really knowing about it. I mean, in Australia, we did quite a bit of wine tasting. Mm. And um, after the third sip, I sort of think, well, look, it's all very nice. I don't don't really know what I'm drinking anymore. It's all just terribly nice. So, But with food, I've got probably stronger views because there's there's, there's some food I don't really like. You know, I'm I'm quite, I get this from my father. He hated some food and loved other food. He was very sort of um black and white with this food so i i, I think i'd um yeah I, i'd have something to say i love that i think i could do that too i could definitely <laughs> do the do the food critic um let's say i know you said you like to read a lot do you do you watch any tv or are you somebody that likes to binge things i don't have to binge i mean i've i mean i've seen some of the great box set things over the last 10 years like Mad Men and Breaking Bad um mm-hmm. I'm a great I'm a great fan of um uh, American Jewish humor okay. going right back to the Marx Brothers going through okay. Woody Allen, Jerry Seinfeld uh Curb Your Enthusiasm I think that's the best mm. humor around love watching all of those Mel Brooks yeah yeah, yeah. Mel well, Brooks early, Brooks. early yeah. Mel Brooks sure yeah Blazing Saddles Young Frankenstein he went a bit off after that yeah and uh, but sure sure Still alive, I think, isn't he? Must be he is. Person. He's still alive. Yeah. 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 I, I just read a great, uh, I say just, it was probably two years ago, but for me, that was recent. Uh, I just read a great book, uh, Mel Brooks' book. It's, uh, I don't, it's not really an autobiography, but it's slightly autobiographical. He talks a lot about uh, kind of his career pathway, what he did his early years writing for Sid Caesar, and then like how he got into doing the movies and all that kind of stuff. And it was really interesting to just read about the process his process of how he did a lot of things and what influenced him i i, I find yeah. things like that really fascinating yeah there was a great stage show the producers a few years ago which i saw yeah. was very yeah 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 i saw that i saw that when it came through town producers was, yeah it was very good yeah um okay do you have um you have a favorite time to write time that you really like writing yeah the morning Wow. Um, I, I can't write for that long a lot of the time. I mean, I, I want to like to do is have a, a light breakfast and then go straight into the room and then just write through the morning. I won't write in the afternoon. Sometimes I'll go back to something late afternoon, early evening. and um, but, but I never write late at night or in the evening. Uh, but, but certainly when I feel that um, there is a certain amount of brain energy, it would be my favourite time to write is probably late morning when I'm getting hungry for lunch. Mm. um that's probably the best time but um it it tends to be i mean yeah it's it's the morning's the best yeah yeah i'm the same way i like to get up get up early and write or i like to wait for my house to go to bed and then i stay up and i write oh, because... I, I, I can I, I can do sort of less the things like putting things on the computer and orchestration i can do that at any time mm. um, okay but actually finding the notes the most difficult thing in composing i need to do that just at a piano, I'm afraid, not, not an electric piano or a keyboard, but at a piano, 
in the mornings. But uh, yes, uh, yeah, the more other stuff, editing, uh, arranging, yeah, anytime I can do that. But I, I still don't like to do late at night. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I don't know if that was 10 questions, but that was those are the questions. So, um, yeah. uh, well, Adam Gorb, I want to thank you so much for um, for taking this time and uh, and talking with me. I'm always fascinated by what uh, by what people say, and um, like we talked about before we kind of started, I've 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 gotten to know your music as a performer when I was younger, and then I've gotten gotten the opportunity to teach it as a as a ensemble director, and so um, I have such an appreciation for um, for everything that that you've done, and so. Um, I appreciate you being here um, on the show. Um, anything you want to share? Last final thoughts. Normally, I would say, "How do people find you?" But you, you don't really do the socials. So, um, what about the email address? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm on Facebook. And um, so, 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 if 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 people want to find me, they'll find me. If they don't, that's fine as well. So, <laughs> so I, I I don't tend to sort of push things out all the time on social media. I mean, I I just feel you, you just have to. Well, there's enough other people who kind of being very very pushy and, and and i don't think i could compete so if somebody wants me that they they, they that, yeah I, i'd like to think they know where to find me you know yeah. in this day and age yeah absolutely absolutely well thanks so much um i appreciate it and um everybody make sure that you check out all of adam's really amazing music and uh perform it share it with your friends take your most recent album recordings over um for people and share it with them and um Anyway, I uh, appreciate, appreciate you taking the time, and um, thanks so much, Adam. Composer Chats brought to you by SCM Media. Is your audience dead? Bring it back to life. And thanks to my guest this week, and thank you for listening. Don't forget to watch for next week's episode with the next composer on my list. And you can find my other podcast, Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim, a sci-fi drama, anywhere that podcasts are streamed. Listen free. Seasons one through three are out now. You can find me on Instagram at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on threads at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on the Facebooks if you're old like me, Jason K. Niche. You can find me on the web at jasonnitch.com or at beyondthebeltpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.